You're listening to the Call Your Advocate podcast. I'm Carolina Strain, Child and Youth Advocate at the Avalon Center and host of the Call Your Advocate podcast. Today's episode is called Accountability. I want to say a trigger warning before we start our episode today. We will be talking about domestic violence, about abusive behaviors, about sexual assault, and I wanted to let everyone know, just in case that's a trigger for you. Today on the Call Your Advocate podcast, I have a special guest, two of them, Lisa Dillard and Walt Pierce. They're facilitators at Avalon Center for our AIM and Break the Cycle program. Today, we're going to be discussing accountability. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Can you guys introduce yourself to the listeners and what you guys do? Thanks, Carolina. Thank you for having us today. Um, Again, my name is Lisa Dillard, and I have been with Avalon for the past 25 years, which is very hard to believe. That's crazy. Um, Involved with the AIM program and in recent years to break the cycle. Uh, My background um, is mental health education and hospital, social worker in a hospital. I love, I love what we do here at Avalon, and I think it's, it's very vital that we have this service in our community. Me too. And I'm Walt Pierce, and I've been a facilitator here with Lisa for probably 24, 23 or 24 years. I have a background. I have a graduate degree in counseling. I focus on group and addiction. I worked with the Eckerd Youth Alternatives, which was a a program working with kids in trouble for 25 years when I started doing this. And now I'm a social worker at the Life Care Center Nursing Home in Crossville. Well, thank you guys both for coming on today. I know that you guys are having a busy schedule now that everything's kind of ramping out of COVID and we're starting to see people face to face. And that includes for the AIM and Break the Cycle program. But I really wanted to do today's podcast because a lot of the services we provide are around the victim. Some of the services we provide that we don't really get a chance to talk about that much are about AIM and Break the Cycle. And a lot of listeners aren't familiar with them or how this helps our community. So can you tell me what is the AIM program? What is the Break the Cycle program? Well, the AIM program is uh, working with the batterers. Our goal is to keep our victims safe. That's primary. But by doing that, working with the... with the batterers is challenging their belief systems more than anything, getting them to, to realize the decisions that they're making are not really called, getting them the consequences they want. Right. And um, kind of just to add what Walt said, I think that the belief system, you know, that's our biggest challenge in working, working with the batterers program is, is helping them change that belief system. So what's the difference between AIM and Break the Cycle? Uh, Break the Cycle is a three-hour class. Different judges feel like that might be more appropriate than the 27-week program for Sometimes for like first-time offenders. Correct, yes. And the other one, the other program? Um, AIM is 27 weeks. They are mainly court-ordered into the program or through Department of Children's Services. We have had volunteers in the past that have completed our program, but unfortunately, that is not that many. We would like to see more more of that for sure. Yes, I, I definitely agree that there should be more 
people in these classes. And, and just to clarify, um, AIM stands for Abuse Intervention for Men. Thank you so much for clarifying that. So is it appropriate to say people refer to these classes just have an anger management problem or that they just need couples therapy? Because I know firsthand from working with victims of domestic violence specifically, that that's the thing that they ask me. Like, maybe he just has an anger management problem or maybe me and her just need to get couples therapy. I mean, she can change, right? Like, that's normal. So can you answer that for me? Anger management is just a drop in the bucket of what we do. We're, we're talking about domestic violence and, uh, and a, a lifetime of learning behavior that uh, anger management is just, like I say, a drop in the bucket to all of that. A lot of, most of our guys come in thinking it's anger management. Talk, you know, it's called, they, out there, they call it anger management, but, but, um, my view of anger, anger is a masking emotion. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's always a lot of feelings behind what's going on. And especially guys in our culture don't address feelings. You know, they, they, uh, um, they don't like the feelings or what they're feeling. But a lot of times can't even identify it. They don't feel good. So they turn it into anger and then they know what to do. And, and that's, that's one of the belief systems that we have to struggle with all the time. And as far as couples therapy, not a good time to do couples therapy because you want people to learn to be honest. And it takes a while for that to happen. And if you have a victim and a batterer sitting together listening to a counselor, when it's all over, they're going to get in the car and drive home. So she's not going to be honest about things. She's going to say what she needs to say to be safe. I love that you really broke it down for anyone that's listening because that's like the number one thing. People think domestic violence is a family issue. That's something that we have to challenge as advocates so that they think that this is something that should be left alone. Maybe couples therapy. Maybe they just need anger management and this will fix the issue. But as an advocate... I know it's power and control based, but I wanted to hear from you guys because you guys are the facilitators for this program. After everything you've seen, I think that you would be the best person to tell listeners, is this something that they can just do marriage counseling for? Will that solve the problem? No, I have to 100% agree with what Walt said. Um, And you kind of alluded to, you know, guys in our group, like Walt said, anger, anger management is a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket our guys have trouble with power and control. And of course we all want power and control in our lives. That's perfectly normal. But our guys kind of, it's like turbocharged, you know, mm-hmm. their, their need for power and control and thinking they can control the situation with violence. Mm-hmm. And something I want to add to that is that I'm sure you guys will take this right and go running with it. But when it comes to power and control, it's not specifically compared to power control and anger management. Anger management issues is anger in general with anyone. And power and control is specifically with the person they want to have power and dominance Mm -hmm. over. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So when people say like, oh, is this something that he can just go to anger management for? What you don't understand is if this person is upset, and it was an anger issue with everyone, then they would have those same behaviors with everyone. It wouldn't just be with you. 
Right, right. And, and we talked to the guys about that in group, that did you act this way in front of the judge? Did you act this way when the police officer came to, to talk with you about the incident? Mm-hmm. So, so you're exactly right. It, it's, not, it's not anger. So then my next question is, who generally gets referred to these programs? But can you give me a general idea of, like, what type of person? Is it just women? Is it just men? There is no type. Domestic violence is in, across our country, it's everywhere. And it's, the percentage rates are not any higher from lower class to upper class to to churchgoers, to non-churchgoers. Um, income, doesn't matter your income, your rights. So a woman could be a batter, and a woman could be in these classes. Correct. Right. Okay. And our culture, different areas, you'll find different groups of people in these classes, but that's more of a court system, financial system. Yes. That keeps certain people in and certain people out. And, and uh, but the percentage-wise except for ex-Marine and police officers, their, their statistics are a little higher. A little higher. I've, I've read the same stats also. So when it comes to the types of offenses that get referred in, are you guys familiar with, are they generally getting referred specifically for domestic violence? Domestic violence only. Um, if they're a higher level of like the sexual assault, there are different programs that could address that need probably more appropriately. Our coordinator deems if they're appropriate or not. The coordinator is Sarah Cannon, which is also our director here at the Avalon Center. We also have an orientation prior to uh, prior to them coming into the main group. And in that orientation, they have to take some responsibility for what they're doing. If we get people in there and they just refuse to take responsibility, continue to blame the system or, or their partners, then they're not appropriate for the program. Does that happen often? A lot of people start off that way, but they usually kind of catch on to what we're doing, mm-hmm. and, and we're not a threatening program. Mm-hmm. And and when they start realizing that, it's easier for them to open up and kind of accept that they're not going to get in more trouble by being in the group. I'm be, sure just walking honest. in, they're probably very defensive to oh, start. Yes. And yes. then to hear that you have to take responsibility is probably... Very daunting for them, right? right? Because right. most narcissists or abusers would say, no, I didn't do this. That would be like mm-hmm. a common behavior for right. them and an excuse to follow, of course. So what are some of the things that you guys work on in these programs with them? Okay, well, over the, over the course of the 27 weeks, we do have a curriculum that we do follow uh, loosely. It's very flexible because... Uh, you know, some weeks there may be certain topics that we need to cover that we hadn't planned on, so we try to be very flexible. But specifically, we do work uh, with the Duluth models and the power and control wheel. We spend a, we spend weeks on on some areas and maybe not as many weeks on on the other. And and in that power and control uh, wheel, we cover intimidation, emotional abuse isolation. We cover minimizing, denying, and blaming, using your children, economic abuse, male privilege, and coercion and threats. So you guys go over the whole power and control wheel specifically with them so that they can understand how these tactics 
they were applying to the right, victims. Right. And, and again, you know, every group is different. So like the parenting section, we may not have that many, yeah. or they may be, or their kids may be grown. Mm -hmm. So they don't particularly, we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that section. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll make it up in other areas. So we try to be very flexible depending on what the group needs. Anything else that you guys discuss with them? We, we talk a lot about communication that, you know, that that's, pretty important and we have a lot of exercises we do with communication um, we're not there to judge these guys you know we're there to help them to see themselves and what's going on and one good example we use is if you saw some guy treating your daughter the way you treated your partner what would you think and that helps them get a, a good idea that wow that's pretty bad and, mm -hmm. and also with uh, domestic violence, a lot of guys come in thinking and a lot of people think that, well, you ball your fist up and you hit them in the face. If you're not doing that, what's the problem? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. The problem is, you know, there's a whole lot of abusive, controlling things that, that are going on in a relationship before it ever gets to that point. Well, can you elaborate on any tactics? Like, I know we talked about the power and control wheel, but you just gave such a vivid example of balling up your fist and how that's really just the tip of an iceberg. So what is, like, for example, a financial abuse look like or an emotional abuse from one of these? Well, name-calling is powerful, and and it works all, all through our society. And, you know, that, that can be really damaging. It can be hurtful. Um, just emotional abuse. I, I try to give examples of, of some emotional abuse where a lot of guys would like, I'd rather get beat up than to have to put up with that, to have to go through that emotional abuse. Yeah. And, and kind of pointing out that just because you say you've not been physically violent doesn't mean that there's not a lot of damage in the relationship and that a lot of abuse going on. And to answer the financial question, you know, some examples of that in our group would be, you know, not, not allowing your wife or your partner to work or not wanting her to work, not, go, not to want to go to school, you know, to better herself where she's not dependent on you financially. You know, they don't want to, a lot of guys don't want to see that independence um, from they their They don't want to risk that independence. Correct. Correct. Yeah, because yeah. what I try to tell people is independence also comes with support. If you're independent, you mm -hmm. more than likely have friends or a job or coworkers that care about you. Right. And if people care about you, then that can be dangerous for someone that's trying to keep you all to themselves and right. exactly where they want you. Definitely, yes. In the social media now, when we started doing these groups, there wasn't social media. But now social media has come and there's so many ways of abusing people through social media. And uh, we, we've had to adjust to that, you know, I, you know, that that wasn't around. And I think recently or maybe four or five years ago, there were some new laws in Tennessee to address the social media aspect, the stalking, the, you know, the communication via Facebook or Twitter or any kind of social media account. I really like that you guys are talking about this because I think now more than ever in time, domestic violence has changed as far as how they can abuse you through technology. And you mentioned through social media platforms, but what I'll also say is, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, is they can track you now 10 times easier. 
through the same apps and same cell phone mm-hmm. that you have and you won't even know it. Right. Or, yeah. It's the, in it, or on their vehicles. Um, and, and I understand that a lot of the apps are free. Yes. And it's scary. Yes. And we've had men in our group that have done that. Well, I'd like to say that just for the listeners out there, the cell phone if you're in a relationship and you feel like you have to monitor your partner's cell phone and that you're sneaking around to look at it, there's problems in that relationship. The damage, there's damage done just, just if you feel like you need to do that. And if you have stuff on your cell phone that you don't want your partner looking at, there's damage in that relationship. Wise words, because at the end of the day, it's your cell phone, it's your property, you're paying your bill. And you know what? Even if you're not paying your bill, it's still your cell phone. It's like if you're, it was your computer. Privacy is important in any relationship. So is respect. So if someone feels a need to go behind your back, check your phone, see what types of conversations, see what you're interacting with on social media. There is no trust. There is no respect. And there definitely isn't any communication, especially if they tell you afterwards and they say, I checked it. Who is this that you were talking to? That That's not communication. That's you questioning me. And and I agree with that so much. And we, we, we talk about that. And your partner is an adult. And regardless of what kind of, you know, your relationship or the length of it, you're still entitled to that prophecy. It's a, it's a hard concept because I feel like if not a lot of people have been taught about what a healthy relationship looks like, right? So the idea of privacy or respect is foreign to some people. And for the people that do know about it, it's entitlement that gets in the way. So if we're in a relationship or if we're married, then this oversees privacy and respect. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, Which, and I, don't, I don't understand that either. We try, if it's your right, they have never seen a model of a, right, yeah. a healthy relationship. Right. So I know you guys work on, work on that with them. Where does the need for power and control come from? I think power and control in our lives is a normal natural, emotional, basic human need. And the problem is, how do you get that control in your life? And most people, not just the guys that we work with, think that they need to control other people to meet that need. Problem is, we have no power and control to change another person. And we end up creating all these problems in our lives trying to control other people when we're not controlling the one thing in this world we have control over. And that's our own, our own thoughts, our own actions, you know, our own beliefs. That's what we can control ourselves in any situation. That's where we gain the control. But if you're trying to control other people and it doesn't work, you just keep stumbling and keep having problems. And a lot of our guys too, they have difficulty seeing things to the end. They're very impulsive. I think the, the control, the power and control kind of, uh, we kind of touch on that, but they have difficulty seeing the end result of their actions. I agree with you. I think that it's an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I did do that. Yeah. And then also maybe not being aware of options or choices. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to credit that too much because I feel like everyone knows that they have an option to walk away. They have an option to never abuse anyone mentally Mm -hmm. or emotionally. 
But again, it goes back to what have you been taught intergenerational abuse? What was your healthy relationship in your mind before you entered into a relationship? And then trying to apply that. If you never knew what a healthy relationship was, and now you have someone in front of you that loves you, but doesn't want to do the things you want to do. Right, right. And we, we try to give them skills, like our communication exercises. Uh, we do, we just finished up an episode, uh, not an episode, a, a class on accountability and how it's so important to identify your own, kind of your own values. And where, have, where do you need to make amends? And are you willing to make amends. Are you willing to yeah. acknowledge? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that accountability is probably the key thing with what you guys are trying to oh, do. Oh, it is. It is. In our power and control wheel, if they don't get beyond that point of denial that and uh, not take accountability, they're not going to get any further. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the key thing is – First of all, you've got to own up to who you are and what you do and see how that's not working for you. Then you can start making changes. But if you're not, if you're not accountable, then why would you make any changes? I agree with you totally. Because if a person comes in thinking, I can just lie my way through this class and I'm not going to be accountable because I didn't really do anything wrong, then not only are they not changing, but they're also not learning anything. Right, right. right? And the other guys pick up on that. You know, we're, we're very fortunate that most of our groups get to the point where the other men hold each other accountable. Wow. Yeah, Walt and I, we don't, you know, at the beginnings, but we're very lucky to have some very strong group members that will step up and they will confront each other. And that's a successful group. And they're a lot more apt to listen to each other when uh, they hear it from each other. The honesty yeah. and the accountability portion. Yeah. And it probably makes them feel more vulnerable enough to actually say what they've done. Right. If one person in front of them says, this is what I've done. Yeah. I, I, I know I did this. And I know that this person had nothing to do with it. It was just my choice to make this action. Right. right. Yeah. How do you help them address that need for power and control? To me, is by constantly bringing it back to them. You know, what are you, you know, what are you trying to take control of? You know, the, and, uh, and what are you, what can you take control of? Because if, and they talk, if they're talking about their partner and painting their partner out to be a monster, that's their partner. They have choices. They have options, you know, of what to do in that situation. Do they want to stay in that relationship and make it work? Do they want to move on? We also tell them if you move on, you're taking you into that relationship. So the next relationship is going to have this same stuff until you start controlling the one thing you have control of. And, and just keep bringing it back to what, and we do a, 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 some sessions on problem solving and looking at whose problem is it, you know, you think it's her problem, but she doesn't mind that she did. She wants to be just like she wants to be. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to figure out, you can't change her, but change yourself. And by changing yourself, she might respond differently to you. I I love that because I see the children of domestic violence or sexual assault that have witnessed or experienced it. And there's one activity that I do with them in particular that this reminds me of that they, the question is, 
So your mother is arguing with you because you didn't clean your room. Your father comes home and hits your mother. Whose fault is it? And we do this activity and that's one of the questions that comes up. And the child, depending on where they are on their resiliency level, they'll say something like, it was my father's fault because he didn't have to hit her. Now, for a child that hasn't had a lot of trauma services, they might say, it was my fault. I didn't clean my room. Right. Or they might say, it was my mother's fault. She shouldn't have been yelling at me. And so there's obviously <clears throat> different perspectives and ways to look at things. But the way that you guys work on them is to really understand what they can control, which is themselves, which is the most important thing that everyone should learn. You cannot control someone else. You can try to, but more than likely you're abusing them because mm -hmm. you're supposed to only control yourself, your actions, your thoughts, and your opinions. Right. And, I, and I think it's also, you know, educating, like we talked about earlier, letting them think through, you know, think through to the end of this action. Um, I think it's also important that they know the difference between consequences and effects of their violence. Um, you know, we, we teach that consequences are things like court fines and your name in the paper because you were arrested for domestic violence. Um, maybe probation for some of our guys, where our effects of violence run much deeper, like that relationship with your children, your siblings, your family, um, your Trauma partner. symptoms, exactly. mental health issues, yeah. drug and alcohol. They don't correlate it. And, you know, a lot of them in their mind is how much money they're having to pay, uh, how much time off work they've had to take. If they had to go to jail. Right. And that's the only real consequence that they know, mm -hmm. but not right. necessarily, like you said, the impact right. of their violence. Right. How accurate is the power and control wheel from your perspective based on the work that you do with offenders? I think it's pretty accurate. I think it is. You know, I like the thing about the social media that we talked about earlier. I think when Duluth, when this this model came out, it was in the in the nineties. I know it's been updated through the two thousands, but you know, there are some things that we have to add to it. But for the foundation of it, I think is 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 pretty right on target. And we'll spend two or three weeks on each piece of the pie in that wheel. And what's interesting about it is. All of the things in that wheel are not necessarily physical violence, but it's all abuse and control and violence that goes on in relationships. And, and uh, the outside of the wheel is, is the physical violence and the sexual violence. And inside the wheel is where all the problems are. And I think that's where it's important to point out to, to our clients you know is that uh, you're doing all these things and they'll own up to some of that stuff and and or they might own up to the physical violence but not own up to some of this little stuff and kind of important to know the difference and, and one of the things I think that that victims don't realize um probably in our coercion and threats. I'm just going to read what some examples of coercion and threats that we talk about in group. Making and or carrying out threats to do something to hurt her, threatening to leave her, commit suicide, or report her to welfare, making her drop charges, or making her do illegal things. And probably the one I want to touch upon is um, if your, your partner threatens to kill himself. Sometimes that is a big form of control, and victims don't realize that. 
Yeah, you because know? it's almost romanticized. Exactly. It's yeah. all over the video. Oh, he loves me so much. He wants to kill himself if I'm not in the picture. And we actually, you know, we've had group members that have gone back and redone a safety plan to address that issue. You know, they have been very forthright in group, like, yeah, I've done that. I've threatened to kill myself if she leaves or if she calls the police. And they've been able to see through group that, that, that in fact is part of the power and control. I would probably say manipulation is one of their most used tactics, especially if there's a child involved. They'll use a child as a bargaining chip. Well, are you really going to leave me and your family? You can't take the kids. If you take the kids, what are they going to think of us about you? You're going to be a bad mother in their eyes. So manipulation is really one of the most that I've seen on my end, but I'm the advocate of it. You guys are the facilitators. What else would you guys say about the power and control wheel that you guys have noticed from the perspective of facilitators that you guys have seen? Well, in, in our communication, we talk about uh, intimidation, and I would say intimidation might be the number one thing, but intimidation comes in a lot of different forms, and, and in communication, 80% or more of, communi- of communication is nonverbal, and you can be sitting there not, not touching anybody, but just by your, the way you look, the way you stand, the way you speak, you know, all of those put somebody in fear. And just to understand one of the uh, domestic violence, one way is to get arrested for domestic violence is by somebody in fear. And I don't think a lot of times people realize that they think they have to, you know, beat somebody up or break something or whatever, but, but just placing somebody in fear is grounds for domestic violence and that's when things we try to do is teach the guys to be aware of themselves you know be aware of your body language and and especially where there's been violence in the past your partner's going to going to know that as soon as you walk in the door mm-hmm. and for them to be aware of, of how they how they speak how they how they stand how they sit because it doesn't again, make a difference yeah, their partner their partner knows those signs for sure better than they do and intimidation, I'm glad Walt said is one of the main things that they use because I actually try to work with my victims on understanding how intimidation is a form of abuse because intimidation for a lot of people isn't seen as abuse for them as victims. They're like, oh, well, they've never hit me. So intimidation is just like, oh, he just squared off or he just looked at me. Tough. I'm like, but how did it make you feel afterwards? Did you do what they wanted? Did you change your behavior? Were you walking on eggshells? Did you think that I should avoid saying or doing this thing to never get them that upset? And if so, then they succeeded with their intimidation. So it is an abusive tactic. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people just don't see it like that. They think, well, I didn't make her be scared. I was just myself. Right. Or they say, oh, all I did was hit the wall. I didn't hear her. I didn't hurt her or I just threw my cell phone out. Yeah. But to the victim, that's a warning of things to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you're talking, you know, talking with your victims, your clients. Oh, yeah. About I, that. I mm-hmm. try to talk to them about everything from body language to tone to I, I try to tell them, what are they telling you when they walk through the door before they've even talked mm-hmm. to you? Can you tell what mood they're in? Can you tell how their day at work has gone just from the way they walk in or what they've done? And every time 
you know, something I really want to make clear about domestic violence is that it puts you in a state of crisis and hyper-awareness. So even if you don't think you've noticed these things, all of a sudden, a lot of victims will tell me, you're right, when he's upset, he's had two beers, and before he's even come home and I could smell it on him, he hasn't said a word, he won't make eye contact, and then he might say something like, where's dinner at, or where's our child? And I'll know. They'll say, I'll know. And so there is the body language. There is the nonverbal cues that tell someone how afraid they should be. Right. And, and that's good that we're kind of mirroring that. We're trying to teach the guys of, of that, the, their effects on their partners and, and you're doing the same thing with, with your clients. That's why it was important for me to get your perspective on the Duluth model because you guys are working, again, with the perpetrators, with the people that have done mm-hmm. the behaviors, and I'm working with the people that have received the behaviors, right. and I'm trying to make them aware and cognizant. And you guys are also trying to make them aware and cognizant, but to change, right. which is so good, and I love that. Once a participant of these programs is finished, do they graduate? Are they considered reformed? No. And we, we, we offer our class that they can continue coming. And sometimes we have people that will continue coming because uh, they kind of know they need it. But it's, it never ends. You know, this, this is a process. And for all of us, you know, we can all improve our relationships and we can all improve ourselves. And, and, figure out how we're going to control our world through our own actions. And, and, um, and so it, it's, it's an ongoing process and, and they know that. And it, we don't know how successful it, it is. There's no way of telling for sure, but, but we feel like for the most part, it's, it's very successful. You know, we don't see a lot of our clients reoffending, but then again, we do. And then we get some people that are that are just really good group members that say all the right stuff and you just think they're on top of the world and they can go out there and and lead these classes and a month later they've reoffended. Yeah. Then There's you, no way to know. No. Right. And you get some people that struggle through it and it's hard for them, but they're actually making changes and getting something out of it. And you know, their relationships get better. What I'll say is also, I love the fact that you said that it's a lifelong process because that's how it is also for anyone that's had any type of victimization. You know, they say, when will I be healed? When will the trauma be done? When will I not have these behaviors, these thoughts, these flashbacks? And what I tell them is it's something that you will most likely have to deal with for the rest of your life. But the key point is awareness and being able to deal with healthy coping skills. And I know you guys work with that with them. And I know there's no such thing as graduating these programs because there's no such thing as for sure knowing that this person will never do that again. I just wanted to make that clear for a listener that thinks, oh, they're going to take this course and they're going to be better and that's it. Mm -hmm. They're changed. And I really want to state like it just doesn't work like that. 27 weeks cannot undo a lifetime of... Of a behavior and beliefs, Mm -hmm. choices, yeah. So my last final questions for you guys. Why do you do what you do? Walt first. Because I think people need some help. You know, I think think people, it's, we're not, like I say, we're not judging these people. And they're good people. You know, I mean, they're, they're trying out there. We're all guilty of of things and we all do things that mess up our relationships and we stumble and, uh, and it gives them an opportunity and you, 
actually, I was amazed when I started doing these groups, how cooperative they are. You know, they're, you know, rarely do we have groups that just, you know, where, where the people are being defiant and rebellious that they do have questions, but we, we want their questions because if they've got them, we need to be able to answer them or, you know, we need to find, find an answer with them. Yeah. The point is to educate, to give them that information so that hopefully they can use it. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa. Well, um, my belief is, and I, I know Walt feels the same way is that there's so many services for women, which is so needed, but domestic violence will never end unless the men learn something new and different they learn about power and control they learn different ways to uh, cope when they're having a lack of power and control in their lives you know to me and until the men learn something different it's never going to end women women are given resources and support but ultimately it's it's the men I think it's important because we know that Tennessee ranks in the top 10 for domestic violence related homicides. And for people that don't know this, domestic violence was reported as a factor in 98 murders in 2018 in Tennessee. Females were three times more likely to be victimized than males, accounting for 71.1% of all reported domestic violence. So when she's saying women have all these resources, we really offer across the state, across the United States, a lot of domestic violence agencies offer resources for victims that generally are women because mm-hmm. of the percentage and the statistics, right. not because it's exclusive to women, but because of the statistics. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. what she means. But for males, when you think about that and you think about how many males are likely to abuse or perpetrate mm-hmm. acts of violence, what are their resources to change or learn or to be held accountable? Right. And so aim and break the cycle are one of the only ones that I know of, at least here mm-hmm. in Tennessee right now, that really work on that key piece of education. And I think education prevention is something we should always have. Right, right. And, and again, you know, I, I'm just a big believer that it's got to stop with the men. Women can't stop men from being violent. It's got to come from within. And and kind of a thing that always struck me, um, when my daughter started college, of course, we were doing college visits, every campus had um, areas where the students could feel safe um, in, a, in case of a sexual assault, because we all know how rampant that has it's increased in colleges, yes. in colleges over the last few years. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this this isn't right. You know, how are the guys being held accountable, the men being accountable? You know, why should all the females in campus have to know where the safety lot is or the button to push the safety lot is if they need to go to the library and then walk back to their dorm at night? You know, that really struck me as what are we doing for the that? males? Do, what are the males being taught? Yeah. You know. So I think that's really important that you said that because education prevention is what I do in some of the schools on healthy relationships to teach high schoolers and middle schools how to know what boundaries are and how to understand respect and how to know the different Mm -hmm. forms of abuse. So you guys are doing this from the adult version. And I think that's Mm -hmm. so important. Those people aren't going to change just because we tell them to change. They have to get to the point where they want to change and, and, uh, and, our goal is to help them get to that point, and but it it's all still up to them. It you know, is we we can't change them. Yeah, and kind of back to the you know, there's a 
there's an equality wheel that matches our power and control wheel. And in each of those spokes is, is a healthy relationship. And those are the skills that we hope to, to impart because um, I had a training last week and it, kind of the things they, they said really struck me. You know, we, we do want to teach men what not to do, but we also want to teach them what to do. And, and I think two of those components are having respect and empathy. A hundred percent for sure. What can our community do to better serve victims of domestic violence in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, we need, we need to continue outreach in our community. I think, um, I think getting pastors or clergy involved, uh, community leaders, um, maybe doing mental health in services for the mental health, uh, our community mental health agencies. Uh, we don't have a big men's, any men mobilizing events in our area, but if I think getting on board with any, any of those events that are just focused with men, um, parenting education, um, I think, you know, I think that's very vital. Um, I, I think there's so many ways to get our community leaders and, and other, other members of the community involved. I think one of the problems is whenever we have, whenever you see, you know, training for this, um, 90, it, it, it's just overwhelming. Women are there. Women are there, and they're the ones listening, but you don't see the men. And if somehow we could have men, more men involved. Um, we could start I, to see a difference. Yeah. Because men need to confront other men. And that's what we hope with this, you know, working with these guys that they'll take bits and pieces of that out and, and it'll get, they can talk to their kids about it or their friends about it when they see their friends, you know, in these domestic situations. Thank both of you guys for coming on the podcast. You guys were great and provided so much information. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Call Your Advocate podcast. I'm your host, Carolina Strain. Today's episode was on accountability. Our special guests were Lisa Dillard and Walt Pierce. They work at our abuse intervention programs, AIM and Break the Cycle. They taught us about how their programs offer a change in belief system and educate perpetrators on how to stop power-based violence. I hope you found today's episode as interesting as I did. Stay tuned for our next episode.